Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, 2 Peter chapter 3, in a Bible study that I've entitled, God's Promises Keep Us Stable. God's Promises Keep Us Stable. We're learning from Peter here in the first century as he's warning the struggling and hurting church about mockers and scoffers in the last days. And it's not what you would expect, is it, when you're struggling and hurting to have someone show up into your life and want to make things worse for you and not better. It's counterintuitive. Well, when you're hurting, when you're struggling, you would expect someone to come into your life and help you and encourage you, especially those that come in Jesus' name or come in God's name. But here we have an example, something that we're not to be surprised by, that not everyone will come with encouragement. There'll be those that make fun of you and make fun of your faith, even in your most difficult times. But here's the thing, church, listen, jot it down, perhaps write it down, memorize it, but this is key. You need to resolve to stay focused on Jesus in tough times. You need to resolve to stay focused upon Jesus in tough times. Now, please don't hear that statement as a harsh statement or a harsh command and it's all your fault you're struggling, but rather receive it as an encouragement, more on the softer side, to use what little strength you have to abide and rest in Jesus, no matter what's happening surrounding your life. Because Jesus is your strength and your hope and your rest. And you can, you can receive and respond to the invitation of Jesus any time and every time you're struggling. You remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I love this. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice with me in verse 5, of 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment, and perdition of ungodly men. We pick up in the middle of where we left off last time when he refers to they. They are the mockers and the scoffers. Those that make fun of what you believe in. They make fun of the God that you believe in. And notice it says very carefully in verse 5, they have made a choice to willfully forget. Willfully forget. And what do they forget? They forget the very foundational truth of God's ability to judge a rebellious world. They forget the flood. 
They don't forget it like you and I might forget our keys. They willfully forget, which also could be translated, they willfully deny this truth. And it has consequences. When you know the truth and you willfully deny it, and you willfully forget it, and you willfully avoid it, and you willfully ignore it, those decisions come with consequences. There will be pain that comes to your life and mine when we don't, when we don't receive the truth and act upon it. And this helps to explain the accountability that every person will have before the Lord at the great white throne judgment. There's an accountability for what you know, and for those who might be listening in right now, what you willfully forget. Or it's described a couple of different ways. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it's described this way. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, listen, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And I would encourage you, if you haven't lately, read Romans chapter 1, and then email me and tell me if it doesn't sound like the days in which we live today. This is the natural outcome, the natural outcome when you willfully forget or when you suppress the truth, when you press the truth down. How? Well, he describes it here in unrighteousness. Because of the lifestyle and decisions you want to make, they have the natural consequence of pushing the truth away. Or how about this one in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10? It says, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, listen, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So you have willfully forget, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now let's bring this home. Let's turn a corner and bring it home for you and me. Those of us that are born again, those of us that have a true, real, what we prayed for, a love relationship with God, We love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and and spirit, all of our mind and everything, our strength. And we love our neighbors, ourselves. For as Christians, we, we, we can't pick and choose what to believe and what not to believe. You can't just kind of go through the Bible and say, I like that, I like that, but no, I don't like that. Now, of course, there are parts of the Bible you may not like. I don't mean it that way. I mean, you can't go to the scriptures and say, well, you know, when God's speaking about love and happiness, I really receive those scriptures. When he talks about judgment, I don't like that. Or accountability, I don't like that. Or let's make it even simpler. I I love when the Bible talks about heaven, but I don't believe in hell. Listen, friend, if you believe heaven is real, you must believe that hell is real. The same Savior, Jesus Christ, taught both equally. You can't just go around, well, you know, I believe in the flood, but I could never believe what happened to that guy, Jonah, and that big fish. You know, I've already gone to Snopes and already seen, oh, that couldn't happen because, you know, if it's on the internet, it must be true. You know, I, I can't, I, I can, I, I really like the story about Joseph, but I don't really like the Red Sea. I don't believe God could do that miraculously. We can't cut up and cut out from the Bible. Let me quote. In the 18th century, the U.S. Congress once issued a special edition they called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. It was a simple copy of the King James Bible with all the references to the supernatural eliminated. 
Jefferson, in selecting them, had confined himself slowly, solely to the moral teachings of Jesus. The closing words of the Bible are this. There they laid, there laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher and departed. That was the end of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Thank God our Bible ended with the news that he is risen. You got to take the whole Bible, and it's hard, I know, and it's challenging. It's going to cut to the quick in your life and mine. It's going to reveal. It's going to correct and instruct, and you know as well as I do, sometimes it's going to rebuke. You're going to read it, and you go, oh no, that's me. God is speaking to me, but I'll tell you, in some of these supernatural things, it's not so much a battle with the Bible as it is a battle with Jesus Christ. And a lot of debate and argumentation is spent around the events of the Bible. But you don't really need to argue about the events of the Bible because Jesus Christ affirms almost everything that people are arguing about today. I'll give you a few examples if you want to take some notes. So you're talking to someone at work, you're ministering to someone in your family, oh, I don't believe in Adam and Eve. Well, Jesus did. He taught us such in Matthew chapter 19. Oh, you know, I don't believe in a worldwide flood. Jesus did. He taught such in Luke chapter 17. Well, I don't believe that God would judge Sodom and Gomorrah partly because of the sin of homosexuality that was rampant in that city. Well, Jesus did, and he taught such in Luke chapter 17. Oh, I don't believe Jonah could have ever been swallowed and survived in a large fish. Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus believed in the historical accuracy of the scriptures, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus believed and taught in the spiritual clarity of the Bible, Luke chapter 24. Jesus believed and taught in the final authority of the Bible, Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus even himself claimed to be the very central focus of the entirety of the scriptures, himself in Luke chapter 24. So Peter says back here that they willfully forget the truth that God judged. So which it makes sense now, doesn't it? It makes sense that this would be a place that mockers come and make fun of you. And at the wrong moment, you know, it could really hit, you know, it could really cut to the heart at the wrong moment because your faith is so strong and, and maybe you just read about Jonah. And you were encouraged by Jonah in the sense like, you know what, I'm not going to run away like him. I'm going to press into what God called me. I'm going I'm to change my hard heart for a people group, and I'm going to take God's soft heart for that people group, and I'm not going to run the opposite way, and I'm going to press in. And yeah, I don't see going to the reservoir and being swallowed by some big fish in the reservoir. So you look at that, you go, no, but you can get swallowed up by a lot of things that will hold you captive. And so there you are. That was your morning devos. And wouldn't you know it, there's some Yahoo at work. The first thing out of his mouth is, you don't believe in that Jonah, do you? And man, the wrong moment, the wrong motion, the wrong situation would spark a little doubt in your mind. And you wonder, God just, boom, one after another, gave you strength, gave you strength, gave you strength, gave you strength. And it only took one mocker to wipe it all out. Now, Peter says the reason they're mocking is they willfully forget. If you come back to verse 5 here, they willfully forget that it was by the word of God that the heavens of old were created and the earth there was standing out of water 
and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Of course, today, secular humanism and secular philosophies have displaced the truth of creation and a creator God and, and even the worldwide flood. But you do so at your own risk. You willfully forget perhaps what you were taught in Sunday school as a kiddo. You willfully forget what maybe somebody handed you as a track about, hey, be careful because God, God is real and he'll, he judged the world and he's going to judge again. And we take our own lives at great risk when we willfully forget the truths that God wants us to receive, especially when it comes to judgment and especially when it comes to judgment with a flood. He saved only eight people in Noah's family. And, and by the way, when it comes to the flood, did you know, those that study these things, they say that over around 270 cultures throughout the years have a recorded version of the flood. Some recorded version of a worldwide flood. Aztecs, Native Americans, cult, Native American cultures, Mayans, Chinese dynasties, even the Epic of Gilgamesh has within it, from Mesopotamia, has within it a version of the flood. Now, of course, the scriptures have the only accurate version of the true story of the flood, but cultures throughout the world have come to terms in one way or another of a worldwide judgment. However, these willingly choose not to believe God, that he intervened in times past in the history of man and even continues to intervene today. In Psalm 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Notice again in verse 7, it says, But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word. The, the heavens and the earth, you and I live, right now we are living by the preserving stability of the promise of God. Everything is held together by the Lord himself. It is kept in store by the same word. The same power who created and destroyed is now keeping the world until the culmination of world history. So that our lives are dependent upon the faithfulness of God. Your life and mine is dependent upon the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. The, the faithfulness of God. This is one of the verses I think was put in the Bible. I want you to see it in yours. Would you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2? I believe, and perhaps it was put in for you as well, but it definitely was put in the Bible for me. I was encouraged to memorize it for me. But perhaps you need to. Because as much as I would want to live this dramatic, glorious, faith-filled life, so much of my life is filled with faithlessness. Moment by moment, you think, well, what kind of pastor are you? Probably a normal one, but on the lower side of faith, perhaps. It's just the way God has made me. I mean, I was thinking as I was praying through the, the request and we we're praying for neighbors and just loving God, I kind of, I, I was stuck on that prayer point of loving God and thinking, you know, I was just grateful for God intervening in my life. 
It was, over, it was an overwhelming sense of how God intervened in my life and rescued me and saved me, saved my life, saved my spiritual life, my physical life, my marriage, my family. I mean, on and on I could go. Why? Because of the faithfulness of God. Not because somehow God looked down and go, look at him. He is just so ready to be saved. Look at him. He's got his whole life together. Look at him. He, he's the guy that I want to use in great ways. Now, perhaps God had that in his mind of knowing ahead of time, of course, in his foreknowledge, he knew what he was going to do with my life, but I didn't know. I didn't know what God wanted to do in my life. I was barely hanging on, if that. My life was an absolute mess. I was in places I didn't belong, doing things I didn't belong, ingesting substances I didn't belong. It was all a mess. It was an absolute waste. And that's where God met me. He literally allowed circumstances in my life to draw my attention above my circumstances for a short amount of time. And it was in that short amount of time where God really brought, and let's face it, he brought a conviction of sin in my life. He didn't say, oh, poor Ed, you're going in the wrong direction. Come and join me and go in the right direction. He really laid before me in a stern but gentle way Ed, the life you're living is a sin against me. And you're hurting me, you're hurting her. And I could go, you could point in any direction, I was hurting somebody. People staying up late, waiting if I'd ever come home or not. Waiting for a midnight phone call if I'm in jail again. That, that's the man that God loved. That even when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, God loved me and intervened in my life. And I look at my life today and I wish I was more faithful and I think I'm growing, but I, I want more faith. I want to grow in this, but this is my life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Maybe you need to memorize this. I want to encourage you, memorize the Bible. Both here at Calvary, but you guys that are connected with us, distance, man, on the radio, memorize the Bible. Because this is what it says, 2 Timothy two thirteen. If we are faithless, what does your Bible say? He, say it out loud, he remains faithful. If we are faithless, anybody ever been faithless, say amen. Okay, it's not, not just me. We're all in the faithless row here. I mean, it could be a moment. It could be a situation. It could be things that just drag on. You're just like, oh man, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. That is the sum and substance of your life. So you see what happens when you begin to willfully forget, when you begin to press down, when you begin to suppress in unrighteousness the truths of God's faithfulness. We're going to pay a price. It'll be painful. But I'm so grateful that God will not stop pursuing us. Why? Because of his great love for us. That you're not beyond the love of God right now that you haven't gone too far, that, that you are not, you, listen, you personally, you are not beyond the love of God, that if today you will repent of your sin, you will acknowledge that God, I've been forgetting on purpose, God, I'm sorry. You'll let him touch the most inner parts, the most deepest parts of your heart that have hardened toward God. You'll experience immediately the great love and mercy and grace. And you know what else you'll be able to tap into again? You've already have it. As a believer, of course, you already have it. 
But you know what you'll tap into again? The faithfulness of God. You get to enjoy it. Not just hear about it. Not just think about it. But you get to enjoy it again. We're going to learn when we get to Jude that admonition to keep yourselves in the love of God. Why? Because that's the place where you get to enjoy it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Because when you're outside of the love of God, when you're outside, well, we'll get to that when we get to Jude. You hang on, okay? And so back to 2 Peter, although God promised not to destroy the earth again by a flood, the earth as we know it will not last into eternity. We'll see that in the coming verses. What we see today, what we are experiencing on earth, it's so hard and so difficult and so unfair. It's not going to last. God is going to do a new thing and restore and renew this earth. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15, it says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with the flames of fire. So notice now, verse 8, he says, But beloved, this is back 2 Peter 3, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Okay, Peter, what do you want us not to forget? That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Well, what else do you want us not to forget? Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but notice that all should come to repentance. A thousand years, a lot of debate, a lot of scholars like to argue about this. But let's look first at, beloved, don't you forget. Tie that together. You've got a group that's willfully forgetting, and then he says, you, beloved, don't you forget. As you know as well as I do, it bears repeating. Trials and difficulties make us forget the faithfulness of God. Bad decisions, difficulties make us forget the... And then, you know, once you forget it, then you just stay in that, that perpetual place of forgetfulness. So you've got a group of people, mockers, scoffers, undermining the scriptures, not allowing it to guide, not building their life upon the rock. They got that group, but then he turns back and he says, but you guys, don't you forget this one thing. Don't forget this. Don't, don't be like the unbelievers. Don't be like the critics. I mean, I would just say today, if you have a critical spirit, pray for yourself. It's not helping you progress the gospel, and it's not encouraging to you either. A critical spirit, where you just happen to find everything wrong with everything and everyone. I think the Lord wants to deliver you from that. He wants you to enjoy Him. He wants you to enjoy others, even the weaknesses and the difficulties that all make us who we are of God building us up. If you're a mocker today, pray for yourself. I mean, if you're an unbeliever, pray for yourself. By repenting of your sins and asking God to forgive you. I mean, your life can change on a dime today. If you're a believer that's been running away from God, today is the day he receives you home. Come home. Receive the Lord afresh and anew. Repent. Nothing happens without repentance, you know. Repentance is so needed. It's a scary word. You know, it's a heavy word, but it's not. We repent all the time in different ways. We make decisions that change the course of our life all the time. We find out we're going in the wrong direction. We turn around and go in the right direction. 
we make a wrong turn, we turn around and make sure we get back. We're repenting all the time. It simply means to turn around, to go in the opposite direction. And the direction that you've been going, it's time to return. And not only that, I want you to see, what does he want us to forget? not forget? He says that God has a different measurement of time than we do. Now, again, the debate is, is it a literal thousand years? I don't see this being a literal statement of, well, for us, every year is a thousand years, or every day is a thousand years. I think that what's being said here by Peter is, I know this ongoing trial in your life, you're on the run, it seems like forever, but God measures time differently. He looks at time differently than the way we do. Because God operates outside of time. He he is over and above time, and he intervenes in our time dominion. We look at time linearly, linearly, but God has an ability to see it all at once. When we look at a situation, we look at it within time. You know, it's like you look at your life and go, this has been so hard for X amount of years. It's been so hard for X amount of hours. It's been so, we're in that, but God has a bigger picture of your life. And what a day is in your life spans a thousand years. In Psalm 90 verse four, I think this is where Peter picks us up. In Psalm 90 verse four, it says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, like a watch in the night. And so the mockers don't understand God's higher and above. Again, let me show you this. Turn over to Isaiah. One of those familiar passages we quote all the time, but you need to see it. You might even want to mark it. In Isaiah 55, verse 8. Isaiah 55, verse 8. Because it does help for us, not only in looking at time, a day in a thousand years. I mean, let's just say it is a thousand years. Let's just say a day represents a thousand years of God living in eternity. You know, when the mockers say, oh, you know, you've been waiting for Jesus for 2,000 years and he hasn't come yet, you can just answer them. Yeah, it's been two whole days that we've been waiting, measuring from the the life of times of Jesus because his times are different. His measurement's different. Notice, he says in verse six of Isaiah 55, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him. That's so good. God is so merciful. He'll have mercy on him. And to our God, he'll abundantly pardon. And then listen to what he says through Isaiah, verse eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, nor your way, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then what does he speak about next? So we've learned from Peter time. God's timing is not your timing. He doesn't measure time, doesn't look at time like you do or live in that scope. And then here he can be sought while he can be, you can seek him while he can be found. And as you seek him, you know, well, he'll be met with, he'll be met, you'll be met with mercy and pardon. You know what is mercy? Remember what mercy is? There's three words that always go together that you want to remember. Grace, mercy, and judgment. Let's go backwards. If you were to meet God and judgment, what would you receive? Exactly what you deserve. That's judgment. Judgment is receiving exactly what you deserve. 
When you meet God and you come to him and you receive his grace, well, his grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Isn't that awesome? Receiving what you don't deserve. You don't come and plead God, give me what I deserve, give me what I deserve. No, he gives you over and above what you don't deserve. And then mercy, when you think of mercy, that, that's where God withholds from you what you deserve. You get what you don't deserve, grace. Judgment, you get what you deserve. But mercy, you know, one of the ways to remember mercy is what? Maybe you were fighting with your sibling, uh, battling someone, and they got you pinned down, and they're ready to punch you in the face. And what do you cry out for? Mercy, mercy. And what are you saying? Don't, you win. You win. You don't need to punch me. You win. Don't give me what I, I know I lost. And if I was on top, I'd probably punch you. But I'm asking for mercy. And there you are before the judge. And you have committed a crime, been arrested, been adjudicated, and now it's sentencing. And you're standing there before the judge. And what do you ask for? You definitely don't ask for judgment. Give it to me, judge. Give it all to me. And you probably wouldn't ask for grace, where grace is very rarely meted out after you're convicted of a crime. What do you ask for? Mercy. Since I know what I deserve, I'm guilty. But what I'm asking for is mercy. Mercy. And then notice in verse 10, how does he connect all this together? With his faithfulness. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, this is still Isaiah, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And then what happens? For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Isn't that a beautiful picture? To think of coming up from the top of Hampton here, and you can see the whole panorama over on Arapahoe. Coming in, you see the whole panorama of the Rocky Mountains. And can you just see one day they just have eyes and a mouth and just start singing to you as you're driving west, praising the God that created them. It's such a beautiful picture. Not only that, as we wind down here, not only that, verse 9, come back to Peter. This is so beautiful. If God doesn't measure time like we do, then the time frame that we've been waiting for something isn't seen the way God sees it. He's not slack. And again, for the sake of using slang among us, God is not a slacker. He's not slack the way you think he is. He's not compared to any other one, any, anyone else that's slack. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but what you see as slackness, God says, is long-suffering, is his patience toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm so thankful for the long-suffering of God, aren't you? Are you praying for anyone today to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Then this verse is for you. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He's been patiently waiting for you. I think of my own life. Jesus did Christ as much as I desire, and I'm sure the church desired for Jesus to come back in the rapture in 1990. He didn't return in 1990. You know what happened in 91? I got saved. 
He didn't come back in 2020. He didn't, as I know the church, oh, come back, Lord, come back. Deliver us. We're ready. Take us up. We're looking up. We're looking up. We're looking up. No, he didn't come back in 2020. And many people are saved in 2021. Why? Because even today, some will be saved. Even those, some hearing my voice today will be pricked and convicted by the Holy Spirit and respond. How God uses the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the response of a human remains a mystery to me to this day. I know this though, no one is saved against their will. No one is just miraculously, oh, I didn't know I was saved. There is a cooperation that takes place between the human being in response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is not God's heart. It is not his loving nature that any should perish. God sent his only begotten son into this sin-filled world for every sinner. Not just a few, not just the elect. Jesus even died for the ones that will willingly deny him. We learned back in chapter 2, remember? In chapter 2, if you can just turn there, you're already there. In 2 Peter There were false prophets among the people, even as there'll be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They denied, what does your Bible say? Even denying the Lord who bought them. Who did the Lord buy? The unbelieving liars that are trying to destroy the church. How did he buy them? The blood that he shed on Calvary. There's no one outside the reach of Jesus He's come to save all who will receive him by faith. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. It says, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Don't think he's slack. It's not that. He's long-suffering. Well, what's the long-suffering of our Lord? It is salvation. He's not willing that any should perish. All should come to repentance. Peter is telling us, understand today that God has a purpose in the waiting. And God has a purpose in the supposed delays. God has a purpose when we think that God has forgotten us. God has a purpose when we think he's slack. When he's not operating according to how we even understand the Bible. And you know, hey, I read this and I don't see this because God said this in his word, but he's not operating this way. No, it's not like you think. It's not like you think. He's not slack. He's not lazy. He's not neglectful. His timing is different. Thousand years like a day. He's not slack. He keeps his promises. And we are living on the promises of God, not information. We live by faith. And really now more than ever, we stand on the promises of God and not on information or data or opinions. I want to end with this. This Bless my heart. And I put this together and I was reviewing it right before coming out today. Would you turn over to Hebrews chapter six? Especially you guys on the radio. I think the Lord, I know you probably can't turn your Bible right now, but the Lord really has a word for you. He really wants you to be reminded of this. Really wants to build your faith tonight. Wants to have that as you were praying for your neighbor. He wants you to believe your prayers and believe the God who hears them. Notice in in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, we studied so many, many months ago as a church family. He says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, 
which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And wouldn't this be one of the most precious, sweet promises right up against that whole thing about Melchizedek and what do people, when they do, when they start thinking about Melchizedek, or who is that, what happened with him? And they get all caught up in Melchizedek when the focus of the Bible is not Melchizedek, it's Jesus. And Jesus gives us hope that's like an anchor of our soul that gives us a surety and a steadfastness. Why? Because he went in first, the forerunner. Throughout Christian history, the anchor was a reliable symbol, a consistent reminder of the strength that we have in Christ. Even in the catacombs of Rome, where Christian hid, Christians hid in times of persecution, the anchor is one of the most common etchings found in the catacombs. Anchored. We have the idea of safely strong in the midst of great adversity. So that no matter what storms come our way, we're anchored in the word of God. We're anchored in the promises that he has made. We're anchored in him. We have a sure and steadfast hope that he will do what he says. So we refuse to go backward. We refuse to run away. We refuse to return to religion. We refuse to quit. And that's the encouragement to the Hebrews, to those listening to Peter, and to us, which what leaves us with the question, are you anchored? Or how about asking it a different way? You are anchored, but where? You guys see all the mess that's happening in Orange County right now on the beaches and that big oil spill. It was from a misplaced anchor, they say. It wasn't rooted in the ground. It was being drug about and it got hold of the pipeline and tore it to shreds. And the whole beaches are all closed right now because of a misplaced anchor. Such disaster anchors can cause when they're not used the right way in the right place. Our hope in God is an anchor for our soul. That this is the word in the Greek that's used to describe the anchoring of a ship in a place designed to hold the ship steady to keep it from floating aimlessly about, being damaged or sunk by floating upon the rocks and, and floating away. God's promise of an eternal land, God's promise of his long suffering, God's promises of his word, what he's done in the past, his faithfulness in the past assures his faithfulness today. Sure and steadfast, entering behind the veil. And so don't give up on that husband tonight, wife. Wife, don't give up on your husband. Keep praying and don't give up on your neighbor or your mom or your dad. Parents, don't give up on your son or your daughter, your grandkids. Don't give up praying for your enemies, church. Don't give up on your sister. Don't give up on the man or the woman that failed, disappointed you. Don't give up on your church. Don't give up on the message of the gospel. Don't turn away because it's so hard right now and so difficult. Don't run away. Stay steadfast and sure. Why? Because Jesus is an anchor. He'll get you through. Yeah, mockers will come, Peter said. 
They'll even come in your worst time. Scoffers. But believers, as the mockers willfully forget, believers will willfully remember and call to our remembrance. And even where Jesus thought this was so important, he thought this was so important that what did he do? When he left, he sent us his Holy Spirit. Why? To bring to remembrance. So that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Even if we do forget, he'll bring to our remembrance all the things that he taught us. Isn't God so good? You just stay put in him. Stay anchored in him. He's got it covered front and back, left and right, top and bottom. He's faithful. And when we remember that and hold fast to that, God will get you through anything. And so, Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you, having you as a sure and steadfast anchor in our lives. Certainly, God, we think of grace, mercy, and judgment, you know. We know what we deserve. Maybe even uh, more more so you know what we deserve. But we ask not for judgment, God. We ask for mercy. We want to enjoy grace. We want even what's in our life to be restored, what the enemy has tried to steal. Even, Lord, just reading that book, we're not going to give the enemy a seat at our table. He doesn't belong here. You make a table for us in the midst of our enemy, but he can't sit at the table. He's not welcome. And so we just pray that you would vanquish the enemies in our minds tonight, that you would vanquish the enemies that assault our thinking, that you would give us clarity. Your word says that we have the ability to take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I pray that into our church right now. I pray that into those watching online that have stuck around with us till the very end of this radio broadcast, listening on the podcast, jogging around the park. To the very end, give us, we pray for the strength to take every thought into captivity. Trying to pull down Trying to, trying to take away our faith, we pull down those strongholds and come against every high thing that comes against the knowledge of you, God. And we humbly surrender to you. Waiting, waiting, waiting in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.